0: Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast.
1: G'day everybody, welcome to the ESPN Footy Podcast once again. My name is Matt Walsh, Jake Michaels is here with me as is Christian Jolly from Champion Data. Jake, can you believe we're already one-fifth of the way through the home and away season?
0: I cannot believe it and I know I started the, the episode a couple of weeks ago apologising to our loyal Collingwood listeners. I've got to go with something similar today and I've got to give Christian a pump up right off the top here. He picked the... Crows would dismantle Carlton last week and I it was after we were on on uh, air, we got off and we we're just talking about the game, and I said, Carlton's gonna win this. How good's Carlton? I was so up and about. And we know you know, we we have our little Carlton corner on this podcast and you were pretty downbeat and you're not always downbeat about the blues, but you're like, No, nah, we're <laughs> gonna get smashed. And we did, and that first quarter I was just pulling my hair out, thinking of Christian the whole time. He um, called
1: it. Any chance you want to talk the blues up this week? Uh, better
0: no. chance against Sades But
2: uh, yeah, I, I saw that coming And we'll get into the game uh, later But yeah, contested ball Adelaide's got
1: our, got our measure mm, Not often teams get the better of Carlton With uh, contested ball you would think as well Heap to get to this week Including the Gather Round spectacle The teams we're ruling in and out of premiership contention, Jake. Already. Pre and post clearance. Hey, you're the one that came to me with this. So I don't know <laughs> what you're surprised about. Uh, the the uh, pre and post clearance contest work and a bunch more. But before we get cracking, something from the weekend you noticed. That's you, Jake.
0: That is me. Uh, weird one. So three teams scored 77 points exactly this round. Mm-hmm. Uh, north, the D's. And GWS, but all three of them scored it in a different way. So the Giants were 10 17 77, the D's were 11 11 77, and the Kangaroos 12 5 77. I, I don't know, does that count as something I noticed? I, I guess it was something I noticed, bit strange. Hmm. I wonder how many, what the record would be. Is there like a team that's gone like four
1: different ways to get to the same? I mean, getting the same, same see, score <laughs> on a weekend is actually that's pretty rare. Yeah, even
2: I'm just thinking across the season, how many, to, you know, Carlton hit. 82 five times in one season in five
0: different ways. I don't know. It might be yeah. Yeah, it might be something in... Little alone in one round. Three is pretty good. That's yeah. good from you. And then there were two teams that scored 70. So five of the 18 teams scored two numbers. Yeah. That is... That's a good notice. No worries. Well yeah. Uh, do you have another one? <laughs> I do not have another one. I thought I had another one but mm. then we checked something and it wasn't right so we scrapped it. So Excellent. I only have good to one. know we fact check on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Christian. I'll give you two. Uh, <laughs> first one. I mean,
2: something I noticed. Harry Himmelberg. Um... Is that the greatest mark taken to win a game of football? I know the only other one I can think of, off the top of my head, I don't think it won the game; it drew the game. Mitch McGovern for Adelaide sort of Ooh, took a, a good one. sort of, but it was more to the side of the pack, and he sort yeah. of just plucked it. Well, that Himmelberg mark was, if not mark of the year, but that's got to be close to one of the greatest marks of
0: all time. In in what about in the fact that he kicked the winning a, goal afterwards? It's a better mark, but do you take into consideration sort of? Importance of a game. I the Leo Barry mark is kind of like the iconic mark of mm, not the, a
1: game winner in terms of like not a game winning w- kick the goal. Yes, but a game winner in terms of saver.
0: saving the game and and you know the last literally the last play of the game.
2: Yeah, not, yeah, not sure which is a better mark. But again, I'm just going on for winning goals. Mm. To me, that I can't remember another sort of huge mark thing like that. And then 25 seconds, 30 <laughs> seconds later, he's down the other end getting a crucial touch on the ball to uh, stop Hawthorne goals. So. Two winning acts for Himmelberg. And the other one I noticed, Sava Radagalia moved down back for Geelong this year. He uh, stood tall in the first quarter against West Coast. He took six intercept marks. And I just thought, geez, West Coast can have a problem getting it past him all day. That is the equal most marks ever taken in a quarter. Uh, intercept
1: inter- marks or, or marks? Intercept, sorry, yeah.
2: intercept marks taken in a quarter. Uh, I think it's been done about six or seven times before. It's only the second time in the first quarter someone's taken at least six. But he didn't take another one for the rest of the game So I think West Coast kind of figured it out And uh, decided to go around him instead of over him time.
1: Fair enough, yeah, uh, good stuff uh, Okay, my something I noticed, right mm. Bit of an etiquette question, right Ben go Patton, uh, Jack Ginevan's on the ground You know, it's yeah. a Moist day, Adelaide Oval um, <laughs> Givan puts his hand up to Patton Sort of asks for a hand up uh, Patton gave him absolutely nothing Where do you stand on that?
0: Uh, I would in terms of if I was yeah an opposition player, I was asking you for a hand up. Do you do you offer your hand? And... I reckon I would. Okay. I wonder if it was anyone else but Ginevan. <laughs>
2: yeah, so I think there's a bit of to It. I think Patton was heavily tagging Ginevan yeah. and trying to body up on him and hit him as much as possible. So I think Ginevan was sort of saying, maybe with that hand up, well, you've been hit. You know, you've yeah. had contact Give with me, me the something. whole day. Yeah. Give me something. You're gonna ha- lift up my hand. So Patton sort of took two steps backwards, didn't? soon as Gideon stood up, Patton <laughs> ran straight into him and bumped him and I started bumping him again. So I think it was a
1: bit of byplay between the two of them. Oh, very funny. Uh, before we get into the main body of the podcast, Gather Round. We discussed it before the week mm. and, and brought up what we thought some, some doubts about what the week might bring and, and some good points of what the week might bring. But now that it's happened, Jake, yep. um, it's kind of been dec- declared a raging success by all parts. But any thoughts on, on the concept as a whole?
0: Oh, I thought it was fantastic. I really did. And, you know, our debate club column this week uh, where, where Rowan Connolly and I spoke about the the concept uh, and how we improve it going forward. I actually struggled to, to come up with ways to make it better. I thought it was really well planned out, well executed. The fact that it was in school holidays meant kids, you know, families could go and then it allowed for more fans. I love the double headers. How cool is it seeing like, the, the dogs warming up at three-quarter time of the uh, the Melbourne... Uh, Essendon Essendon game um, I just thought it was a great Round of footy I thought it was really cool One thing that I, I did read this morning And it started to, I guess it got me thinking Was what happens when There's a 19th team mm. Does someone miss out I Did see that something Because um, that's You know That's likely to happen um, yeah. And the gathering I know we've got SA locked in for three years, but it's not as if we're going to get to the end of the three-year contract and then give up on this. This is going to be something that continues on, I would imagine. So that's something to to kind of look for. The other thing I I like the idea of is a player of the gather round. So whatever you want to call it, but a player of the round. Um, And I think the nomination me, would be Tom Papley. He was incredible for the Swans. He was the match winner.
1: Yeah, he was. Uh Christian, any thoughts in terms of a, a product broadly, but also just the the future, what they can do better, perhaps?
2: Yeah, I again, probably to me watching it on TV, the double-header games, how they were sort of, I think it was one ticket got you to the two mm, games, yes. so there was probably, again, don't know the percentage, maybe 25-30% of the people that only stayed for the one game, so either there was empty seats for the Essendon-Melbourne game, or there was empty seats during the Port Bulldogs game. Again, watching on TV, you want all of those games to be full in that capacity. Hearing it's a sellout, so you want to see full stadiums. But overall. Pretty jealous, being a Victorian, thinking how we've never really had that. We get a lot of foot. And oh, I heard us have five games a week. <laughs> I heard someone sort of talking about from, from Perth saying they love to come to Melbourne every couple of, couple of weeks each season because they can go to the football on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday and see three AFL games, yeah. You know, regardless of who's playing. And they don't get to do that when you're living in Perth. And I know we get football three days a week, but we've never had all 18 clubs come and play in our city. We've, we've seen it during COVID and things like that and sort of just watched and thought, be good to have that here, but again, Victorian-centric bias. We get enough footy, so happy for happy for all the other states to have it. But yeah, I I consider it. A it's success. quite
0: interesting now because the AFL has two options. It can stay in somewhere like SA, I and mean, we know obviously it is it is staying there for the next few years. But South Australia, Western Australia, they're they're already that's footy heartland as well. You Correct. know, yep. you're not you're not necessarily going there to grow the game. So, part of it is do you take this to New South Wales, do you take this to uh, Queensland and try and grow the game more up in these areas, which is important for the for the sport. The problem is, it's not going to come across as much of a spectacle and a carnival atmosphere on TV because the crowds won't be there in the beginning. So it's really interesting in somewhere like s- Queensland. You yeah, think? That it's just not going to be there at the beginning. It's just not. You think you think during Victorian school holidays
1: that oh, I don't people
0: f- won't want to get out of the cold? Wet, there there miserable- will be some, but you know we can still look at the data and we the data or the data, Christian. We can look <laughs> at it and we can see that still two thirds of the tickets that were sold during the gather round were to South Australians. Yeah. So you know if one third is is uh, everybody else. That's not going to be enough. So well,
1: now that they've already locked it in, right? So gather round was a concept that came into uh, fruition kind of late last year. Now that's it been locked in already uh, yeah. for the next three years. We know it's going to be in Adelaide. Yeah, people have longer to plan as well. So there's going to I think there'll be you'll find that people will book start booking stuff now. Mm. There's what like they said Victorian school holidays. So there's three weekends, but they will probably pick the middle weekend. So you kind of already know what the dates might be. Off the top of my head, I don't have kids, so I don't know. But there's like you have. A brief, like a like a like a small idea of when the window will be. Yeah. You can go ahead and book your accommodation now. You can go ahead and book your flights pretty soon too, because flights open up a year in advance uh, for most airlines. So, I think you'll find that there'll be more time to plan it, and you'll get more people from interstate going, if that makes sense.
0: I think it's, it can only grow from here. It can only grow, but but my point is that if it is going to, if if we have it in South Australia for the next three years, and then that fourth year it's taken to Queensland. Yep. It's just not going to be the same because you're not going to have the the amount of Queenslanders that embrace it like the South Australians would or like the West Australians would. Well, there's that's a challenge. Just, that's for just the, the reality. So, so the AFL has a choice to make. Does it keep it in the AFL heartland areas where you're going to have the crowds there, where it's going to be look great and it's going to be popular and fun? And I, I would. I know that's probably not the way
2: businesses and you know uh, they work, sort of always trying to grow and go into new new uh, markets. But pay back the South. As I said, the, the the mm-hmm. perth fans that do come over here and travel yeah. to victoria just to I'm see not, three games I'm, of football I'm not i think saying they deserve one, a i'm not saying of this there's week. a
0: right yeah. or wrong way to do it but it'll be interesting to see how they actually how it plays out because i do think in time this this idea this concept is something that should be shared around the country and not mm-hmm. necessarily for christians point before, i don't necessarily think it has to be played in victoria i think it, victoria could be the the state that that sits out because it does get footy throughout the throughout yeah. the year so much of it but I think it should be going to Western Australia. I think it should be going to New South Wales. I think it should be going to uh, Queensland.
1: I, yeah, I, I think that the fact that you've got a stadium... So let's just say Queensland comes in in three years' time uh, and puts its hands up for the next iteration. You've got a stadium on the Gold Coast which hosts how many people? What is it? 30? 20, 25? 25, 30? Yeah. I reckon that's a lot easier to sell out than a 50,000-seat Adelaide Open. Well, the 8,000 8, is easier to sell out too. Well, exactly. So yeah. I think you're not looking... It's not like you've, you've got a massive cavernous stadium that you, you're worrying about filling. Uh, I don't know what stage the GABA redevelopment will be at that point as well. Yeah. So maybe there's also some byplay to play out there as well. Yeah.
0: Interesting times. Gather round. Tick overall? Yeah, big tick. Yeah. I think it was, a, it was a great start. And look... New, the NRL fans and the rugby fans will be quick to tell you that it's not a totally unique AFL idea, and I don't think anyone's claiming that. But yeah. I think the way it was executed it was really well done, and the crowds were great. Uh, the games, for the most part, were good. Yeah. The cool. rain, though, on the yeah. it was it Saturday night that yeah. rain? I can't remember the last time I've seen rain like that at a football game. Mm. Like not in the not in the peak of winter
1: as well funny how, like, you're the main broadcast cameras, you kind of go, oh, is the rain slowed down a bit? And then, and you, then get you get a ground shot, shot. Yeah. shot. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, good weekend for the city of Adelaide. Good weekend if you are the Adelaide Football Club, too. Mm. Uh, had the showpiece uh, game on the Thursday night. Came out in the first quarter and absolutely belted Carlton. Uh, and in front, you know, national TV audience. Oh, it was embarrassing. Wasn't it? It was the, the
0: worst Carlton quarter. And, I mean, I haven't, haven't really thought about this too much, but it's got to be the worst first quarter Carlton has produced slash allowed um, in recent memory and this is a club that's had some shockers as we all know but that was dire and as I said off the top Christian did pick this I was sceptical I didn't see it I didn't think we would lose let alone lose by nearly 10 goals or whatever the final margin was but it was just embarrassing the ease in which they were walking out of the middle um, Laird and Dawson dominating in that first that first quarter. And and the Blues just look flat-footed. They look slow. They look sluggish. They look tired. Yeah, Really concerning for round five. We're not round 19. Well, let's flip it for
1: a little moment because the Crows were irresistible. Probably the best and the most explosive I've seen them play in, mm. in six years. You go back to 2017 when they were putting up 120 points a week and they had Josh Jenkins out the back, Charlie Cameron floating around, Tex kicking straight, all these Eddie. kind of guys. Eddie Betts. Like they had all this <laughs> firepower up forward and yep. they only ultimately fell short at the final hurdle this is probably the best I've been seeing them play since since then
0: yeah and I mean the forward line on paper the forward line might not be quite up to this to the level of that 2017 forward line but Tex is still playing very well still and we spoke we spoke about it when I did my top 50 players a few few people were surprised he's in there he's still a phenomenal player great contested mark great ball user around the ground kicks goals the one the player for me that I've constantly been scratching my head around in terms of why he hasn't been playing is Darcy Fogarty. The guy is one of the best kicks for goal. As I said, he's a, for his age, he's such a big, strong body. Takes those contested marks too. And he's a great number two option in that forward line. And I was surprised he, he hadn't been playing for, for so long. So I thought, he again,
2: beautiful kick. And if you want a goal, Darcy is your man. But he was a bit one-dimensional to me. I think, you know, at one stage it was like 70% of his disposals came from Mark. So if he wasn't sort of getting out in front, mm. taking a nice sort of lead Mark, he was struggling to get the ball. Old school footy But bro. again, he's come back. He's, he's added more to his game. The one that surprised me, though, and again, they might have got it right, was Riley Thilthorpe. I just thought, you're taking this guy... Pick two in the end, you know, sort of you you, you had the number one pick in that year. So mm. um, you got him in. And I, I just know that tall guys, they take four or five years before you get to see the best of them. But I just thought they would throw him in and just blood him and just give him experience. He kicked five on debut and then they sort of dropped him a few weeks later. And he's been in and out of the team. He finally looks like he belongs now. But I just thought, yeah, previous years, geez, they're ruining this guy by just not giving him game time. Um, but watching him out there this year sort of shows that maybe they've done it right. He, he's just, he's developed really, really well. He's got... Again, he's different to sort of what I was saying about Fogarty. I think Thilthorpe's got so many different parts of his game. He can get up to the midfield, win the ball. He can sort of get behind the ball. He can kick your goals Relief up for us. Well. So mm. um, I think, yeah, he's been a massive inclusion for that team this year.
1: Even, even defensively, they're quite stout. You look at someone like Max Michaelani who's come into this side, in the Rising Star nomination right, so, this yeah. week. But he's been excellent for, for three or four weeks. Tagged Michael Walters out of the game the week before. Um, kept uh, his opponents in the first few rounds to, to barely any touches. So he's playing with a, a hard defensive edge that... I think when you when you've got young kids that can come into this side and and play the way that they play, you can kind of inspire. Like I don't, you know, Tom duday has been around a while. Um, <clears throat> Dawson off halfback has moved into the midfield, so they kind of have had to shuffle pieces around these areas yeah. uh, to cover
0: some some loss in the midfield. And, and you talked about probably where Adelaide's weakness remains, and it's maybe that midfield depth. I think it still probably is the depth of the midfield, but we shouldn't gloss over the fact that Dawson has gone into the midfield. And I don't know if there's anyone out there that saw. Not a, not only that move coming, but the way in which he would just look so comfortable in there. Um, I think everybody knew he was one of the best ball users, but to then move into the midfield and be able to create space and time to distribute the ball. I mean, the amount of times he hit a target inside fifty against the Blues, um, incredible. And you know, he might have, he might have nine Brownlow votes in the last three weeks, and, and I don't think anyone saw that coming up at the start of the year. Perhaps we should have when he was named captain. I think when he was named captain, people were sort of yeah. raised a few eyebrows, like what a move inspired yeah. so
1: and, and look he brings a hard edge as well he's not just his kicking i think you you've you've got some contested possession numbers about the crows um from before and then after he went into the midfield and they're staggering
2: yeah so basically the first two rounds they've lost contested possessions they were negative 18 uh the first week against Gws which we know sort of they were you know in in control of that game and ended up falling short uh negative four the next week but um, yeah, they moved Dawson in there basically at round three, and the three games with him in there, their contested possession differential has been plus 22, plus 14, and plus 26. So Rory Laird has been their number one contested possession ball winner in that time. He's mm. third, Dawson, uh, third in the competition for Laird. Dawson, I think, is about 12th or 14th in the competition, second at the Crows. But again, it's just that that ability for Dawson to go in there and give that second option has actually
0: allowed Laird to sort of ramp his numbers up. I still feel, yeah, to your point before, as great as, and you guys know how much I rate Rory Laird, um, and what Dawson's done in those three weeks in the midfield's been incredible, but they do feel a little bit short there still. I think the defense is strong, and the forward line is has that, the ability to score, mm. but I do feel they are still a little bit short of quality and talent through the midfield. That would be my one question mark on the Crows. Again, whether you're saying they're short on talent, it's, it, a lot of the discussion I've got sort of got a little bit
2: on Adelaide here, and I probably sort of said they're more a bit like Brisbane in terms of their stat profile. But just the way you talk about them, they're very much like Collingwood last year mm. because they don't have that. I mean, Collingwood still had Pendlebury and Cybottom running around, but we didn't know who their number one star was. You know, who was their most important player? It's almost like Adelaide's got to that stage where it's just the, yeah, it's but, the but twenty-two that are out. It's the eighteen that are out on the field that are producing that, and I think it's pretty easy. I get you know, that. Schoenberg and the- some of the some of the younger midfielders that aren't coming in, they're they're easily brought into the field just to sort of, you know, become another one of those link-up in the 18 players. So, I think that's a strength for some teams when you can't identify who
0: the clearer stars yeah. are and who their most important players are. I just think players like Taylor Adams and Jordan Degoe, obviously Nick Dacos, there's, so, there's, there's more there than, than Schoenberg and Saligo and some of these guys that you think... Is there enough? And I worry that if there was, if, if Laird or Dawson had, had to go out of the side for a month, is there going to be enough in that midfield to carry them?
1: Matt Crouch still is toiling away in the sandful. Yeah. Getting well, 30 that, a week? Yeah.
0: Forgotten well, man. they don't want to play him. I yeah. mean... You've
2: yeah. so Ben Keyes, Rankin and Rochelle who are playing yeah, forward. Yeah, they, the they, they
0: kind of... Keyes, he was fantastic last year, but Keyes, they sort of don't want to play him in the midfield. Uh, Crows have Hawthorne this coming week. Then a bit of a
1: tough stretch. So Collingwood at Adelaide Oval, the Cats at GMHBA, St Kilda at Adelaide Oval, and then the Western Bulldogs in Ballarat, mm, which they won
0: that last year. Five points. Yeah, they certainly did. So uh, so, so the lines after that. So a bit of a tough run. Yeah, the Dogs. The you know, they should win this week. The Dogs are struggling, and you know you get a couple of games at home as well. I think. I mean, not every round's going to have, have that same build up and an atmosphere as the as gather round, but they they look good at home. I certainly do. Uh,
1: We touched on contested possessions. We also touched last week on pre- and post-clearance contested possessions differential. It's a bit of a mouthful, but basically we were asked on Twitter about what the difference is between um, pre-clearance contested possessions and what what happens after the clearance and and the numbers and and kind of what clubs can get a hold of the ball outside the clearance better and what clubs are better at getting the, the ball before the clearance actually occurs. Am I on the right track with actually defining this, first of all, Christian? And then secondly, how can you kind of break it down into language that, you know, schmucks like me can kind of understand?
2: Yeah, uh, so I think you've done a pretty good job. So it is, it's, it's pre-clearance and post-clearance uh, sort of game states. So if you look at um, pre-clearance, it's at the stoppages, it's before the ball has been cleared from the stoppage area. So it's all the stats that happen before the clearance stat. Um... Obviously, you know, you you can't really have a pre-clearance goal. You need to have a clearance before you can get a goal and things like that. So there, there is some stats that don't happen pre-clearance and some stats that don't happen po- obviously kind of a hit-out post-clearance and things like that. But one of the areas of the game that really you can sort of break down is contested possession differential. A lot of that come back to maybe the late 2000s and, you know, 2016, 17, 18, and that when Hawthorne was winning, won three premierships in a row by losing contested possessions each game. And it's sort of like, well, where... What what is the value of a contested possession? How is Hawthorne sort of being able to win games without winning the contested possession? A lot of that was to do with their clearance work. They were and, and Richmond's a lot similar. They sort of happy to concede that first possession or the contested possessions at the stoppages when there's a lot of bodies. It's not as it's not as easy to get it out there. It might be a quick handball fight out or a quick kick. And that contested possession you continually lose. You're not getting first use of the ball, but if your setup is right outside of the stoppage, you're seeing a lot of teams. And Richmond with a big one on it. Lose the clearances, but just get you on the counter attack. Mm. So, almost be set up ready to lose that first possession because, again, when you're sort of valuing scoring rates from a contested possession, a ground ball get post clearance is a lot more valuable on the scoreboard than a ground ball get pre clearance, just because of mm. the, of what you be able to can actually do with the ball. So, so you're talking about maybe space. like
1: a contest down the line, the ball spills free, and you pick up the ball on the ground. Yeah,
2: that that's going to be more valuable, a lot more valuable than sort of sharking an opposition hit out most of the time obviously depending where on the ground that is and, and a small snapshot of that is this year it's uh, it's actually gotten a bit closer if you win the pre-clearance contested possession count you win 65% of games uh, if you win the post-clearance contested possession count you win 75% of games so that's just across the first 5 rounds this year so 10% more often you win if you're at the post-clearance uh, contested possession winners it's been about 15% for the last two years between those two numbers. So it's been a pretty big jump in terms of you're
1: a lot more likely to win a game if you're dominating post-clearance. So uh, we've been seeing this a bit uh, trending the last few years where clubs are stacking their defence with interceptors and looking to rebound off that, that back line and, and start scoring change from defensive 50. Is that kind of where you think that 15% it's- comes from? because because clubs are... Willing, kind of like Collingwood was last year, to lose the clearance, maybe apply some pressure, get the turnover, and then do the hard work. Exactly, and it's it's horses for
2: courses. So some teams, and, and Carlton, we'll get to them so soon, they've they've built their game around winning clearances and contested possessions. They really need to get the ball moving first, whereas Richmond sort of had a game style, whereas they were. They were set up to sort of, right, we want you to win the clearance because it's going to give us more valuable possession if we've got the numbers outside the stoppage area. So... Everyone's done it different ways, and that's, again, Collingwood's big improvement this year. I, I sort of said, you know, in the offseason, they were a counter attack team. They were happy to be second at the ball. Now they're first of the ball, and they're scary because they have that set up. They have the philosophy that McRae had put in for last year. They know how to set up behind the ball, but now they're also getting first use of it. So, they, again, there's no right or wrong way to play. But, again, just a quick look on... So you look at the best pre-clearance contested possession differential teams this year. So the teams that are winning the ball in close at the, at the clearances... Gold Coast plus twenty nine, North Melbourne plus twenty eight, Brisbane plus twenty six. Uh, sorry, Bulldogs plus twenty six and Brisbane plus twenty three. So they're the, they're the four best teams at winning pre clearance contested possessions. Brisbane's the only team in the currently in the top eight of that group. Mm. If you look at best post clearance contested possession teams, Adelaide plus fifty six, Collingwood plus forty nine, St Kilda plus forty three, and Essendon plus thirty six. So almost your top four teams in that stat, or also the top four teams on the ladder. So. Trend. And again, you look at the best contested possession team. So we talk about Collingwood being the best contested possession team. They're plus 13 pre-clearance. So they're pretty good. They're plus 13 pre-clearance and plus uh, 43 post-clearance. So they've got a plus in both numbers. Whereas uh, Adelaide, who we were sort of talking about before, negative eight at the clearances, plus 56 post-clearance. So have the, they have the number one post-clearance contested possession differential of any team. So again talking about that midfield and how and how they're sort of playing they're not big on winning the stoppages and clearances and getting the first possession uh they've got a pretty valuable rugby in o'brien as well but they're sort of happy to concede that clearance stat because they're set up around the ground they're going to beat you at most contested ground ball outside of the out of the contest and they're sort of scoring off that
1: why would teams not try and win both of those stats
2: again it's probably the personnel you you would there's 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 no way a coach can go out and tell you to lose a stat. It's just where (laughs) your energy and focus is. So, again, it's more about Collingwood coming back in at a quarter time at the KPI and say, well, we're we're losing forward half intercepts. We're we're negative not 10 in clearances. We're negative 10 in forward half intercepts. It's the negative 10 in forward half intercepts that our game's built on. So there's always going to be those metrics that coaches draw back on. Again, there's no reason why you wouldn't want to try to win both. But as I said, if you... Again, just looking at the numbers, the teams that continually win the inside contested possessions just don't get as much value if they're not doing it outside. And and it's what we, another way to call post clearance is general play. So it's what obviously stoppages versus general play is almost a, is almost the breakdown. And I think again off the top of my head, seventy percent of footies played in general play. It's yeah. only thirty percent of the game that are actually stoppages. The rest of the game where you know most of the
0: balls, but being one is out in general play.
1: Something to keep an eye on those. Uh post-clearance contested stuff, possession it seems
0: to, Some of those things seem to go against what your eye would tell you. I think clearances and contested possessions you'd think would equate to winning more often than it actually does.
1: Mm, interesting. Is this something we're likely to see? I remember like the last few years we've seen different like graphics pop up on broadcasters. We know the pressure gauge on the Fox footy. Is is something like post-clearance yeah, so contested again, differential yeah, going to be the, like during live? I know we've seen it during shows like um, on the couch in 360 yep. but is this something we might sort of see in live, live broadcast maybe yeah because clubs are
2: starting to use it again we've, we've got a um, our match day stat centre has an easy filter for clubs it's just one click we can look at pre and yep. post clearance numbers and some some midfield coaches will just have pre pre clearance numbers and that's what they're looking at for the whole game so it's already worked its way into the coaches box um, I think the, I know they use it definitely
1: for post match and editorial analysis whether we see it live is yeah up to the broadcasters something to keep an eye on Jake it is. Uh, we brought in a new segment earlier this year, basically the telling stat for every team from the week. Uh, we've touched a lot on the Crows and the Blues already early. I going to leave the Blues. <laughs> uh, <laughs> any one last thing? I, I think we talked about him a little bit before, but Jordan Dawson, um, some of his stats in terms of since he's moved to the midfield, inside 50s in particular, are just unreal.
2: Yeah, so the last three, as I said, he moved in the uh, permanently into the midfield for round three for Adelaide. So we've seen three full games in there for him. In that time, he's second in the competition for inside 50s with 22. uh, And 13 of those are left to a score. So a result of nine goals, four from Adelaide from his 22 inside 50s, which puts him number one uh, in the competition. Um, Lukosius is eight goals, five from 19 entries. So he's got a better strike rate, Lukosius, for scoring. But Dawson's actually got more points return on the scoreboard um so yeah he's been as i said second second best contested ball winner at adelaide but then he's also getting what we sort of talk about the value of getting out into general play and being able to hit targets when he's in space but just another little one from the game that i was watching is probably the way adelaide used the corridor to sort of carve carlton up and again carlton couldn't find a target in the corridor so again we we have the whole ground broken up by corridor wing boundary uh you look at just the uncontested mark so Across the game, I think it was twenty-eight to twenty-four or something was the contest uh, the marks taken in the corridor, which seems pretty even. But if you break it down by zone, thirteen of those for Carlton were in the D fifty, so that's just short kick-ins to someone in the corridor in the back fifty. That's not as valuable. Mm. Whereas Adelaide, uh, it was twenty, sorry, yeah, twenty-eight of those were taking in in the defensive midfield for or forward of that. So again, they were using the corridor through the midfield. Took twenty uncontested marks in the corridor through the midfield compared to Carlton's nine. So to me, it's just watching it by eye, was like Adelaide controlled the middle and Carlton had to go the long way around all night.
1: Uh, We talked about the Blues briefly and their contested uh, possession differential and how they are usually winning that most weeks.
2: They're they're basically hanging their hat on that stat. They're going to beat you with the contested possession. They've only lost it five times under Michael Voss. So since the start of last year, there's only been five games they've lost it, but they've lost it in both their games against Adelaide. Uh, it was negative 14 this week. It was negative 20 um, in round 20 against Adelaide last mm. year. Um, and yeah, I think that out of the five times they lost it, the two worst games are against Adelaide and Melbourne. So if you look at Voss's time, Carlton are plus 296 in contested possessions under him. I think Melbourne's only the only team that's better than them. When they've come up against Melbourne, they've been beaten in it. And for some reason, Adelaide's the other one that I've, as I said, I, I watched them do it last year, and they completely uh, destroyed and dismantled Carlton's ability to get hands on the ball. Did it to him again, so yeah, it's a, it's a big watch for Carlton. Is if they don't win
1: that in that stat, they're, they're always going to be in a bit of trouble. Gold Coast were looking pretty comfortable. Jake, you mm. would have thought uh, Norwood on Friday night, then gave up a flurry of last quarter um, stats. Basically, he got spanked in a in a whole range of stats in that last term to to give up a ten point loss in the end. Stuart Judah probably doesn't catch as much heat as he would if he was coaching a bigger side and, and maybe in Victoria and. And that's just the way it is. The, the Suns don't get a lot of clicks, so it's not really worth talking about. It's just the unfortunate reality of the Suns as a as a unit. But you wanted to have a chat about Dew and, and uh, his longevity in the job at yeah, Gold Coast.
0: Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, I'm not here to say someone shouldn't have or hold their job. But at what point do you have to start looking for something different if you're the Suns? I mean, we, just the quick number here. So there's 88 coaches in VFL, AFL history that have coached 100 games. Stuart Jew has the worst winning percentage of all those 88. And he still seems to be under no pressure. That, to me, is remarkable. And to your point, it is a a large factor of that is the fact that he is coaching the Suns. If this was any other club, I don't know if he gets to this point. So, I think a club like
1: Gold Coast, the expansion team, uh, has cycled through a couple of coaches prior to Jew. I think the the idea of... um, I don't know. Having a
0: settled coaching panel,
1: yeah, is probably where they're thinking. They're saying we just don't want to keep cycling through guys. Every I get two that, or but this weeks.
0: isn't an expansion. I don't think we can even call them an expansion team anymore. This is year thirteen. They still haven't played a. Fi- they still haven't played a final. They've never had a, a season where they've been 50-50 or better. It's a, They've had twelve straight losing seasons, and they're on track for a thirteenth now. At what point do you start? Do you sort of say like. You know, we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago. When you look at the and I know it's you got more than four players on the ground, but you look at the four that started most center bounces with Wits, Miller, Anderson, Rao. You think gee, that that that's as good as anyone. They've got talent around. I know they lost King last year, but they've got they've got players around. They they look a far stronger team than they have in previous previous seasons. Um, but the results just aren't coming. And and I I've, I've never been a big believer or blamer of a coach. I think a coach can only make so much difference. I know some you might disagree with, with, you know, something like Ross Lyon or what he's been able to do with the Saints or whatever, but the reality is, you can't. They can't just keep going on like this for another year, another two years. Because at what point do you start get? And you just sort of say, well, we're not getting anywhere. We're going backwards. I had the opportunity with Clarkson, I believe,
1: mm. um, and they they stuck with you so interesting times ahead for, for the Suns because I think we all kind of tipped them to have that, that winning year yeah, or be break even. I thought, a, they'd be, even I thought even that'd this be year, around the 8th to 10th mark. It's
2: exhausting trying to, and again, as an analyst, trying to look at the Suns and just why and where it's gone wrong. It, it just happens so quick. It just fluctuates so much and even two years ago, they sort of their game style was really based around it was a West Coast game style. They were very uh, kick mark and very sort of low stoppage game. And then last year, that sort of brought the stoppages back and became more contested, which was a good way to go. And then this year, I can't even give you a signature for the first five rounds What's, it's really um, really hard to see
1: that final quarter the stat lines that you've that you've brought to the table for this final quarter if free had finished those the stat lines that you're about to read out um for the match you'd probably think oh they win that but this is just the, for the final quarter alone
2: yeah so plus 32 disposals plus 38 marks only plus six inside 50s but going inside 50 they took seven marks inside 50 for that quarter to Gold Coast zero. Um, I think there was a couple of teams that only took eight or nine marks inside 50 for their games across the round. So yeah, take it's seven a matter of weather as well there. It was, they had, again, it, and it all goes back to Gold Coast pressure. So quarter by quarter pressure. Um, quarter one, there are, um, again, you've seen the pressure gauge on Fox Footy. Anywhere around 200 is elite. 190 is probably what every club's trying to get to, to at least sort of uh, hold their heads up high. Quarter one, Gold Coast 189, pretty good. Quarter two, 205 exceptional quarter three 195 very very good quarter four 165 just haven't seen a drop off from three quarters of being that contest usually There's usually pressure issue. can go well, with a game style as well the game is a bit more in close they just they just fell apart. They just let the game open up and let Freo do what they want. The Bit of a quarter. plug
1: for the footyology podcast that Rowan Connolly does with um, Rodney Eid on a Wednesday. But they talked about coaching for effort mm. for about four or five minutes, and I know that won't tickle the the fancies of stats nerds out there. But the fact that you can kind of coach effort and and, and inspire, you know, your, your your charges and actually have some sort of way of 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 making them go harder at the footy and, and approaching contest more mm. it just sounds like an effort based sort of drop off it did it, it seemed like Frio sort of early
2: in that quarter five or ten minutes in Frio sort of slowly took control started to win contest started to win a little bit of territory but then after the five ten minute mark it all I know Gold Coast got a couple of late ones but it is it, to, to me watching it again just watching by the eye, I thought, what's happened to Gold Coast here? They're just, the whole game style that they had up for the three quarters just disappeared in that final quarter. So they got
0: north this weekend, not to bang on about the Suns too much, north round six, at home if they lose their one and five and it really feels like it's season over. Yep. It's a must win game, round six because then I think they play Richmond and Melbourne, in the desperate Richmond and Melbourne. I mean, they could easily lose all of them. They are
1: playing Richmond at uh, Marble Stadium. Richmond's one home game there a year, so that could be interesting. <laughs> anyway, uh, speaking of the Tigers, Jake, you did pick them to win the grand final this year. Gee, I
0: tell you what, not looking good, I must say. No. Um, not the great, not the best Sydney team, but they really they put them to the sword. They, we, we spoke about it last week. It's just, they don't... All of the all of the pieces that we thought were gonna sort of fall into place for the Tigers this year, it just hasn't happened. I, I think some of the I think Taranto's been good. Hopper played well, but I don't think he's kinda of lived up to what people expected. The loss of Lynch is obviously big. Martin and Bolton, I thought they'd be hitting the scoreboard a little bit more than they have. Um you know, they've got contributors. I think Liam Baker's been probably their best player. Daniel Rioli's been good, but there's just you look around and, you know, talking to uh, Jesse, who who's obviously helped us with the podcast in the past, Mad Richmond supporter, and he said, you know, we got we got four guys in our forward line that are 20, 21 years old, younger. Yeah. And the fact that Jack Rewalt kicked four and kind of was keeping a minute for a while, it's a concerning sign for the Tigers. Um, and as I said, i i I was far I was extremely bullish on them at the at the start of the season, and you feel like now they're they're another team that's like, gee. Are they done as well? Can they win it? Can they still? Can they turn things around? I don't know if they can win it, but it's almost like some of their team selection, In uh,
2: to me, it seems like they're turning the corner as well. They realise they can't keep going back to the well with the same guys that won-, won premierships with them five years ago. Just mm. guys like, yeah, Judson Clark, Ben Milligan. I feel like Richmond, I think they're doing it well. That They're bringing these guys in. They're sort of not going to be... Uh, but if you're playing Judson
0: Clark and Samson Ryan and all these guys, you're not you're going to be losing more. No, no yeah, but you're making a footy club
2: better. That's what I mean. I don't think Richmond's got the arrogance where they're just trying to roll out Re and Cochin, and win games like mm. that. It continue, you know, and Dustin Martin. Let's put him in the midfield now because we're losing. They're they're stuck to their guns. Th- so it's time to yeah.
1: reassess our expectations yeah. of yeah. Richmond. Yeah,
2: I think, and I think they're building well for the next two years. I think they're not going to get caught in a
0: rut.
1: So to my point off the top, mm. Richmond out of premiership contention.
0: Oh, I think they are. Adelaide in. I. I think Adelaide's more likely to win the flag than Richmond right now.
1: Um Tigers one of the stats that that you've got here for us Christian is quite interesting is just time in front. Sounds sounds simple but
2: yeah it was the first time uh I think well there was actually um a game was it last year um Round 22
1: 2021. Yeah so that was less. yeah that was
2: the last time that they'd never been in front in a game GWS scored first in that game and stayed in front same as Sydney on the weekend so I know I think Richmond got back to level um across the night but never got their noses in front so yeah, sort of the first time, you know, only the second time in four years that they've been 0% time in front. So, as I say, I think they were they were last equal about late in the first quarter, but then other than that, they were just chasing the whole night, which is very unlike Richmond. Um, 20s? Yeah, 64 inside 50s against the Tigers. That's uh, eagle most um, against Richmond since 2020, uh, which a team actually got 64 entries against Richmond in the shortened season of 2020. So... Um, Yes, but 32 scoring shots as well by by the Swans. It's again the equal most against Richmond. So it was. It was just a complete sort of. We don't see Richmond get dominated from start to finish often, but Sydney sort of yeah put their foot down and and controlled the whole night. Uh,
1: Mount Barker. Firstly, mm. I know we we talked about Gatherham before, but firstly, just a, a word, Jake, on the spectacle from somewhere in the Adelaide Hills. I thought it was magnificent. Ground was in good condition. The crowd was involved. Such a lovely setting up in the Adelaide Hills. You can go for lunch beforehand or dinner afterwards. Been there? I have, yeah. Lovely, lovely part of the world.
0: Yeah, um, it's cool. Yeah, I like the fact that they're they're pl- they're playing it. Bringing the demountable the... stands in. Yeah, it's, really, it's it's it was a great atmosphere. I mean, it's as much as you'd like to see them all played at Adelaide Oval. I think there's a there's a nice unique charm of taking them to some of these smaller grounds as well. And and like we said earlier, if this is something that is taken to other states you'd like to see the same thing as well. Mm. And on the field, it was a complete domination. The Lions just uh, too strong for North.
2: Yeah, and it was inside 50. I mean, we saw again, I might have been two weeks ago, I think Joe Danaher and Eric Kipwood were in the news for sort of not being uh, controlling enough as key forwards. And I think, you know, what was the term used for them? They weren't, you know, they weren't roosters or something like that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, nine marks inside 50. each. first time a team's ever had two players take nine marks inside 50. And the 33 marks inside 50 is the third most on record um so yeah just brisbane's just a walloping yeah their, their forward line got a good sort of tune-up uh, in that game and for for north again we we talked about contested possessions pre-clearance they won the pre-clearance contested possessions again um so three of the four games uh, so four of the five games this year they've won uh pre-clearance contested possessions but they've only won the post-clearance contested possessions once and that was their win against west coast so Again, I feel like... But again, when we talk about North, it's more of a starting point. Let's just get our hands on the ball. We couldn't do that previously. So that's one part of their game. They're doing well. Uh, But yeah, they're still getting beaten um, on the outside. And there was a period in the second quarter where the game sort of just... It became like... There was no stoppages. It sort of was very, very low pressure. And that was where Brisbane really put their foot down. So it was almost like North were crying out for some stoppages just to get back... You know, get the ball back in their hands.
1: You say they were minus 27 in post-clearance contested possessions. Comfortably the worst of the round. Yeah,
2: so the worst for the round, and then the worst for the year across. Um, I think you know. I think they might have been seventeenth going into the round, and now they're eighteenth because of that number. Gee whiz,
1: Essendon uh, Melbourne, you buying the hype of the
0: Bombers at four and one, Jake? Well, if I'm buying the Adelaide hype, I think I have to buy the the Bombers as well. They've been really good. I mean, if you can <laughs> if you can convince Rowan Connolly that the Bombers are a threat <laughs> this year, then you you've convinced everyone, I think. Um, they looked really good. They really did. They look like they look so much more dynamic. Um, I know we'll touch on Anzac Day shortly, but um, it's a damn shame that Zach Meredith uh, suspended for Anzac Day. Obviously skipper now as well, but fantastic player. So
1: yeah, but you can't tackle like that and expect to get away with it. So it's not a shame that he's missing. It's a shame that he won't play, I guess, in a sense. But I also think that if you're trying to rub out um, tackles like that, then it's probably fair enough. No. Maybe.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I'm just saying it's a shame that for an Anzac Day clash, that's going to be the best one in however many years. Yeah. Second v. third. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, of course. You mm. you want to see the best players playing. That's fair. Um,
1: question without notice. Kyle Langford, where would you be playing him, Christian? Uh, I think forward based
2: on what? Essen's already got behind the ball. I like Essen's defensive setup. Ridley, Laverde does pretty well, um, but yeah, I, I kind of do get a bit frustrated that he is
1: moved so often. Yeah. I just I, I would want him just to settle in one spot. I think he's a tough matchup up forward. I think I think his size, um, his his strength through the hips,
0: his his kicking is pretty good. He's a bit of a mini match winner. He's he he doesn't do it a lot, but he can break a game open for a quarter. And I feel like when you're looking at your defensive
1: pieces. When you're trying to send someone to him, you're either going well. He's going to give up seven centimeters to this guy, mm. or he's going to have six centimeters on this guy. And I, d- I just don't think he has a natural match up with a lot of clubs. He's quite an like what do they call him Like five six years ago, the the rage was a utility. He's a bit of a utility, yeah. but he um he's shown he can hit the scoreboard. And the Bombers need classy users around Gold. Nick Martin, you you seen you know a couple of weeks. He, he's just a good finisher. Yeah. Um and and this is a club last week, as in not the week just gone, but the previous week where no one could kick a goal to save themselves mm. and it was sort of nick martin who steadied the ship and they sort of went on from there so yeah i, I agree i think forwards the way to go um what were the stats that really jumped out on onto, out of the page for from that game
2: yeah surprise so 27 point victory for essen and they can basically almost put that down down as a smashing against melbourne that's melbourne's third biggest loss since the start of 2021 so they don't they don't often lose you know uh games and they don't often lose by a big margin so Again, they Essendon was able to sort of outscore Melbourne by I think it was thirty three points um, from turnovers across the game, which again is Melbourne's fourth worst result in that time. So something that teams don't usually get um, sort of a, a good advantage over Melbourne is that score from turnovers. That's what Essendon was to be able to, sort of be able to um, get their points from, and it was yeah being able to sort of. Um, just squashed melbourne into their back half really so melbourne had 30 back half turnovers it was six more than they've had in any other game this season so they just couldn't move the ball out of their back line and again a big a big uh sort of trend with essendon this year again we might be able to explore them a bit deeper next week they easy term for them is they're cashing in at the moment if they win the ball back forward to center they're more likely to score than any other team so they're not getting as many turnovers or doing the the Quantity of things that other teams are doing, but at the moment they're they're really being able to cash in on on inside fifty entries and turnovers, and they did it uh, against Melbourne, sort of like no other team
1: has done previous years. There you go, uh, Port and the Dogs. You did mention Jake the just how wet it was, and we saw two different styles of how these clubs try to combat the wet weather, and it was actually pretty tight for, for most of the uh, the match, and then Todd Marshall kind of really
0: ended it in that fourth term, didn't he? Yeah, uh, you know, talking about Kyle Langford, Todd Marshall. I mean, bigger guy, but same sort of thing. Great. He, he has that match-winning ability, and we've seen him do it before. He's a fantastic kick for goal. I think we'll touch on that shortly. But mm. um, he did. He was the difference in the end. And I thought Cody Waitman was going to will the dogs to to about. A, an epic win. But um, no, full credit to, to Todd Marshall, who has really turned his career around, hasn't
1: he? Yeah, he's been good. Um, and I think he's one of those players where if you can stick him in a forward line and, and around the ground sometimes as well... Uh, you know you're going to get consistent output from him in terms of like the quality of ball that he brings in mm. the forward. And line. that
0: was the that probably was the knock on him early in his career. It was never a question of whether he can kick straight or anything like that. It was there were too many games where he'd go three quarters and touch the ball once. Um, but I mentioned off the top, Christian, uh, two different styles in the wet uh, the, these clubs.
2: Yeah, and as he said, the the dogs. Well, it was a close game. The dogs were in it for most of the game, but this style just sort of yeah, didn't stack up to me. So uh, look at. Uh, Competition average this year You average 1.9 kicks For every handball So almost 2 kicks For every handball Um, So in wet weather footy You expect the kick to handball ratio To go up even higher For Port It was 2.05 kicks For every one handball So above the comp average Bulldogs were 1.37 kicks For every handball So they almost uh, You know Not almost had Even amount But their handballs Were much closer to their Mm. kicks. So And a lot more shorter kicks as well So they were still trying to do The Bulldogs game style Flip it around Keep it close Sort of Move the ball up by hand as I said, it, it kept them in the game for long enough. But the last quarter alone, Port Adelaide had 63 kicks, 20 handballs. So just got the ball moving straight away. Bulldogs were 37 kicks, 30 handballs. Um, and 27, 20, sorry, 26 marks to 12 in that final quarter as well. I think late in the game, that's where Port were able just to, to get the territory and sort of, yeah, take take the seconds off the clock. Whereas the Bulldogs were probably messing around with
1: it a bit too much. There you go. Uh, cats and the Eagles. Gee whiz, what a day for the Eagles. Um, Well, what a weekend for the Eagles. They're twos as well, Jake. Lost by 169 points. Unbelievable. Elijah Hewitt, highly rated draft pick, also uh, injured in the first
0: couple of minutes. They just can't take a trick at the moment, can they? They cannot. Uh, sorry, I thought you were jumping in there, Christian. No, they haven't. They're, they've been poor. And I think we said this at the start of the season. Um, how many games will West Coast going to win? And you guys were sort of thinking they'd win seven, eight games. Well, I-,
1: I didn't think someone at the club would walk under a ladder and smash a mirror.
0: Some of the the hard luck they're they've had injuries. They're just not a good team. I think it's as simple as that. I mean, you can you can look at all the the numbers and the data and analyze and analyze, but at the end of the day, your eye tells you they're not a good team.
2: Yeah, and again, I probably look at this game and go the other way and say it probably wasn't as great a win for Geelong. And similar to the first week, they had a lot of issues against Hawthorne uh, on Easter Monday in that first half. Um, and even just the start of this game. So West Coast had nine of the first 10 inside 50s of the game. I think they were two, two to zero at that stage. 15 to seven uh, contested possessions in the first uh, 10 minutes, 27 uncontested possessions to 13. Um, and as I said, yeah, eight to one inside 50s in the first 10 minutes. So West Coast got out and jumped them. We, uh, Geelong were able to sort of br- bring the game back and put it on their terms but again Geelong only won two quarters for that whole game so it was that's a amazing, 50-50 split when you look yeah. at quarters one for the game West Coast won two Geelong and really won two
0: they really should they really should have won by more like 47 points yeah that's yeah. That, and and, that and again, um, often
2: and then you look at score sources so we sort of talk about how you're sort of generating your scores and Again, a lot, you know, probably 60% of scoring comes from turnovers. Last year, Geelong were the number one team for scoring from turnovers and conceding a score from turnover, and it was sort of world record pace. No, no other team has sort of been dominant in the two. Um, across this game, they're actually outscored by two points from turnovers by the Eagles. So it was all clearances, 78 to 28 from clearances, Geelong's way, uh, plus 50 points. But yeah, as I said, 58 to 60, they were outscored from turnovers by West Coast, which, again, that's what you know you'd almost say that's what won Geelong flag last year I know there was a lot more to it but it was based on how good their turnover game
1: was they're still getting beaten in that in uh, in most weeks interesting uh, but this is the thing the Cats will just I reckon they'll just potter along for a bit they'll find a mojo and as we sort of said their run home's quite kind so Cats with a wet sail Exactly. would like to do
0: it against a, a,
1: a decent
2: but, team yeah you look at their signature and it's not great but then you look at you know, yeah. percentage ladder positions. Like, well, they're not hasn't damaged them yet or hurt them too much yeah. yet.
1: Yeah. Uh, Giants and Hawks, a bit of a thriller
0: in the end. We kind of mentioned Harry Himmelberg's last two minutes, the best last two minutes from a single player in some time. Yeah. Um. Was trying to think of a better two minutes. Like, it, certainly. I mean, Jamie Elliott had a few yeah. great moments, but it's hard to think of someone who's had like multiple great moments in the last, you know, two minutes of a game. In recent times. I can't think of anyone. Nick Davis sort of areas. Yeah, but, but even he was, that was a well that was a quarter yeah, and it was a final. Yeah. And that's, what,
1: 18 years ago? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling old. Uh, Giants and Hawks, anywhere you want to look for this one?
2: Uh, again, uh, looking at the team that didn't get the result they wanted is probably getting a pump up Hawthorne. So we know Hawthorne's ability to move the ball and their offensive is where all the work's been done by Sam Mitchell and that's, you know, what everyone's sort of a bit worried about them with. They might get opened up um putting so much emphasis on offense and ball movement but against the giants they were able to sort of stifle their ball movement um allowed gws you know they had 46 defensive 50 chains only four made it to the forward 50. um which is yeah one of the lowest percentages conceded in a game this year so hawthorne was you know round five hawthorne team was one of the hardest sides to move the ball against that we've seen this season so sort of work for them on that on that one game they had um their yeah, their most midfield intercepts that they've had in any game this year so again a lot of their other games they've rolled back sort of waited till the ball gets into the opposition forward 50 to try to win it back they were able to get it back a bit earlier um this week but yeah sort of again it was more the just late in the game just getting overrun by the giants um but yeah, again, another one for Hawthorne that I looked at. They were only ninth for inside 50 differential, so that's the total count of inside 50s, but second for time in forward half. So they were really, really able to lock the ball, and that goes to Giants' you know, limitations on their ball movement. Hawthorne was able to sort of lock the ball forward for the first time this year. So again, that's a big tick, something they can go back, watch the tape, and say, how do we sort of recreate this going forward? Because we sort of, we had the game more on our terms. Um, I mean, we spoke about Himmelberg, but another one, Sam Taylor. So, um, I know you had him high in the top 50 um, Australian key defender last year. had another 16 intercepts, four score launches. But the worrying one was he lost his first one-on-one contest for oh, the season no. on the weekend. And <laughs> it's a, a stitch-up. He got beaten by Ned Reeves, who is 207 centimetres, who just put his arms up and managed to pluck <laughs> it out of the air while Sam Taylor was thinking he's not going to be able to reach that. So... He's got one for Sam Taylor He's got one Very defensive stiff. one-on-one <laughs> loss this year but we'll keep an asterisk that's
1: good it's pretty incredible isn't it yeah um fair enough uh pies and Saints we've got to kind of whip through this we're running short on time already uh but a bit of a scrappy match well, but there was a world record yeah that's what it, I Scrappy is a different way to say it. I thought it was more of a yeah,
2: really counter-attacking game, and I didn't notice it. It was sent to me, but I'm um, sorry. I did sort of notice that the game was going end-to-end, but I didn't think of it in terms of this number. But yeah, 56 intercept marks taken between the two teams, most we've ever recorded in a is game. right? Yeah. So it was just pinging back and forth. It was, it was Callum Wilkie down one end, Murphy and Moore down the other. But yeah, that was probably the big one. And also another one that, you know, probably you don't notice it by eye, but uh, Collingwood had 19 more smothers than the Saints across the game which is also the biggest differential ever recorded so
1: really five a quarter that extra that you doing compared yeah. to your opposition. Your so position. it was
2: just that yeah the and we That's know the, but yeah. again we know Ross Lyon and I've spoken about St Kilda previously 400 disposals per game but continuously just trying to move it forward move it forward at every cost so I think Collingwood play, play that to their strength and just knew okay if we can actually come and close them from the front we're going to stop their ball movement and yeah they've had a they've had a a lot of smothers
1: 42 of 57 midfield intercepts led to led to a uh an inside 50 yeah as well like this, so, yeah, this yeah. is pinging around like yeah. real sort of um uh, hard contested kind of footy which is well, not always contested but like very well contested in a sense that like the, the teams were quite evenly matched for a yeah lot of it was this. A, that the classic arm, arm, arm sort wrestle. of wrestle because yeah the ball was up, um, and up and back but no
2: one was sort of yeah really opening up the game
1: there you go uh, we're getting into red time Of this podcast Proudly brought to you By Subway Jake Is the hype justified Or is it hyperbole You're our Brownlow guy mm. Nick Dacos Is the Brownlow favourite Through five rounds
0: Oh it's justified He is with the bookmakers He has been for a few weeks And he Second is Second year player Yeah it's cr- pretty crazy um, Hasn't played 30 games yet And he's already A Brownlow favourite And he, he'll he be leading like, Would be the youngest Since Judd he, He'd be younger yeah. Than Chris Judd True I, actually I would have to check check where it ranks, but i I don't think, I don't think there has been certainly not for a long, long time a, a second year player win the Brownlow Medal. Um, it, I've got him on eleven votes now. Like some people have him as high as thirteen. I mean, he, he could have three threes and twos in all all five games. Uh, only Clayton Oliver I've given votes to in every game. I mean, he, whether he gets a vote for his forty one in the in the loss on the weekend, who knows? But yeah, I mean, Dacos certainly has the lead at the moment, and it would be, it would be historic, and remarkable, really, that a second-year player comes in and, and wins the Brownlow Medal. So, so non-midfielder win the, winning the Brownlow. Well, he's a midfielder. <laughs> let's be honest. <laughs> uh, Christian, don't worry about the bump. It's the pinned arm tackles
1: which are really dead. Uh, we'll find out tonight. I think it's a, it's kind of a good week.
2: Three incidents, three exact same. Um, markings movements. or you know so, but they all got the same three rankings from Michael Christian and mm-hmm. they're all sort of going to appeal tonight so yeah ask me is tomorrow but we'll Klops find to out but I think to, tonight is a watershed moment though yeah. in, in this in this action in tackling action you can't have I, I sort of said tug-in-cheek who is the least profile player that's going up tonight because he might end up with a week while the other two get off but it's Tom Green Taylor Adams and Zach Merritt none of the you know all of them are probably key to their teams and you know two of those are going to be involved in the ANZAC match. But yeah, tonight is a big is a big moment to find out where do these tackles rank? Are, are we getting a week for them or, or are we not? Mm. And after tonight, I think it has
1: to be consistent going forward because yeah, we're, we're rating set, three at once. Set the
0: precedent tonight, and, and that's what it is for the rest of the year.
1: And super quick before we wrap up. Todd Marshall is the best kicker of the footy who's taller than 195 centimetres.
2: He's very, very good. Numbers say his teammate, who's probably slightly tall, is actually a little bit better, Charlie Dixon.
1: Ooh.
0: Dixon, better. Jeremy Cameron, is he 195 or above? I would say he Buddy. is. Um, I think Cameron field kicks. I'm, I'm thinking. See, when you said field kicks, tall guys field kicks, I thought Walker Taylor. He was the player that stood out to like I would have thought, but apparently he's not as high. He's mid as...
2: table. He I, m- I remember three or four years ago is one of the best. Like something we got on Jordan Dawson is how good he's kicking. So fifty was that was Taylor Walker's stat three or four years ago. So he yeah. might have just dropped off a few uh, this week. But yeah, Tom. In terms of key players, Tom McDonald. Jack Lukosius, Darcy Fort, and Joel Armaty are leading the field kick kick okay, rating yeah. at the moment. Jeez, Very
1: doesn't... good. Uh, if you want to chat to us, we're at Footy Tips on Twitter. Uh, make sure you get your tips in. It's a Friday game this week. No Thursday game, Jake. I well, know. We'll get to this another. We've got to wrap things up. We'll get to this another, another time. Uh, your uh, six points column coming out on Wednesday, so keep an eye on ESPN.com.au forward slash AFL. Uh, Thanks, guys, for joining me. To everyone at home, we will speak to you in the next episode.
0: Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod, wherever you get your podcasts.